With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. It is September 14th, 2023. Uh, Bitcoin is currently at 26,500. Uh, the US Fed rate is at 5.5%, and the NASDAQ is sitting at 13,846. So, relatively stable from last week. Uh, a little bit of uptick on Bitcoin, which is great to see. Hopefully, we see the Fed lowers, lower some rates, but they're talking about another uh, 25 basis points coming soon. Not great. Uh, today is episode 10 of Y Web 3, and we're going to dive into the ever changing world of Frontier Tech uh, and everything around it. On today's agenda, we'll delve into the integration of crypto by a major payment giant in the evolving regulatory landscape. We'll also discuss market integrity concerns, insights, and a leading payment crypto exchanges uh, monthly's report, the stability of the cryptocurrency markets, and really what's happening in the face of so much economic change. Uh, we'll go through the company's uh, exceptional stock price, uh, financial firms venture into digital assets, and the controversies surrounding uh, game development fees. Join us as we go over these events and more on today's version of YWeb3, Navigating Frontier Tech. We have an amazing guest with us, with us today. Uh, Anaris, we'd love to give about 90 seconds of, of your background and a little bit of how you got here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So uh, I'm a, an entrepreneur. I've built several businesses in tech, uh, mostly AI-enabled businesses in cybersecurity as well as cloud technologies. So I know a little bit about AI and a little bit about building successful startups. I'm also a YPOer from LA. Um, thrilled to be here and uh, discuss what's uh, happening in the world of AI and, and beyond. Fabulous. No, and we're going to utilize a lot of those resources because we are a little AI heavy today, which is not a problem. There's been so much in the news. Um, so let's kick off, you know, right off the bat with, you know, Goldman Sachs. Uh, I think it's interesting to kind of hear the big uh, titans of, of the industry start talking about AI. Um, you know, AI is not a new concept, as you very well know. Uh, but Goldman Sachs is rejecting the notion that we're already in an AI bubble uh, and instead predicts that the intermittent uh, AI revolution is still upcoming. Uh, they believe the current surge in AI market interest doesn't resemble a dot-com bubble, uh, very similar to that of the 1990s. Uh, Peter Oppenheimer, the uh, chief global equity strategist, asserts that the early stages of a technology cycle uh, with strong potentials are still on their way. And Eris, you know, what's what's your thoughts on kind of uh, what, what we're seeing in the market today? Like it's been, you know, now there's, it's gone from like AI is this thing that's existed for, you know, decades, nobody really paid attention to it, to now like you, you can't order like a coffee from McDonald's without them saying, you know, mm. using their AI integrations. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, certainly there's a lot of using AI, uh, especially in the news and the you know, public company CEOs are, are using it as a keyword to sort of keep their stock, you know, uh, at a certain level. So there's a lot of that noise, and some of it is nonsensical, I think. But uh, zooming out, um, I agree with the headline here. I was I was with a YPO a couple of uh, days ago, and we were discussing impact of AI towards his business. He's got about 400 people in customer service, customer success. And he was, he was basically saying, look, we have a plan, a short-term plan to replace most of those roles with AI so that those people can go and do different type of jobs or, you know, or, or do some jobs elsewhere. Obviously not great if your job is eliminated, but in terms of productivity and, you know, going back to this article, in terms of productivity, that's the thing. In the 90s, we were talking about futures, world of possible, what could be possible, how it may or may not affect, uh, you know, the bottom line of companies. LLMs, these large language models, seem to be affecting the bottom line of many, many, many companies right now, today. So, you know, I definitely see where productivity in the short term increases for significant many countries, which therefore should mean that this is not a bubble. 
Yeah, and, and I think you know I, the one point I like is we're still very early in the cycle. Um, you know, we're we're still kind of understanding what is the the proper potential uh, of these technologies. And so, you know, one of the other articles we can throw out and, and talk about, I think, is really showcases you know how early we are in the investment cycle into the technology. So, Ernst and Young, uh, they're uh, allocating 1.4 billion to AI investments, uh, unveiling its its in-house chat interface, a uh, bunch of other things we can talk about. Uh, but Ernst and Young will train all 400,000 employees um, on essentially their new AI model, um, looking at, you know, quite a substantial investment uh, along with the other big four from uh, PwC, KPMG, and Deloitte. Um, so we're certainly seeing, you know, now, now the financial sector uh, understanding the value of where these things are coming from. And, and you know, we're going to talk about other things, you know, generative AI and, you know, like I said, AI is getting sprinkled out on everything, same way that we saw kind of like, you know, blockchain and <laughs> cryptocurrency get sprinkled on everything for a minute. Um, but I think these are like real investments with real dollars. And, you know, certainly there's not a talent pool that exists to fulfill these needs right now. And real outcomes too, right? Uh, real outcomes. That's the thing. We, we, most of us, all of us really that are digital, we're pretty onboarded. So that's why this took off. And remember, it's only been 10 months or so since GPT-3 came out. It's only like ah. four or five months since uh, GPT-4. So I, I agree that uh, talent-wise, you know, we always seem to be short on talent. But on the other hand, uh, this is fairly simple to get on board it and start using and find productivity gains inside of the company immediately. Um, and, and it, yeah, and there's a relatively clear ROI on this um, because this is, you know, the same as teaching people. You know, to me, this is a, a similar concept of teaching people email, teaching people how to use, you know, Word and Excel. Like you can immediately see increases in productivity with these things. It's a lot less theoretical compared to like NFTs and cryptocurrencies, where we're kind of like, hey, we're playing with the technology to see where it goes. Uh, yes, yes, and that's why since we're solving today's problems. Uh, the ROI is there. It'll be interesting to see, you know, we're still in the phase of it's a new tool, new, new technology. Let's solve old problems with it. It'll be very exciting to see what new problems we discover that we can solve. Sort of the questions that we're not asking ourselves yet, but uh, which is probably in partially why ENY is looking to invest 1.4 billion in this. Partially because it, I mean, they have to be, you know, someone's going to Someone's going to deploy an LLM that's uh, trained to be EI, EY and many things they do, right? Yeah, and, and one of the things, that I th again, and I really want to keep pushing on, and, and hopefully you can collaborate on, that, that how early we are still in this, you know, what we're, what we're learning here. Because um, I've seen a massive degradation in quality from ChatGTP, um, especially in the, the four. Um, you know, they, they've introduced features, they've removed them, they've added, you know, new ones back in, and, and then they've, you know, degraded those again. Because there, there's a real challenge of, like, with an emerging technology, it's not mature, it's not, you know, like the word processor where it's, like, you know, if, if, if this, then that, um, you know, it's a rapidly evolving, changing, and, and we're seeing now this prevalence of um, just, just what I kind of refer to as AI garbage, um, that people have gotten so lazy that, you know, they used to spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes on their prompts and, and be able to save themselves a couple hours of time. Um, and now it's like, I'm going through LinkedIn and I'm just like, you, you just, you didn't even, you didn't even spend five seconds on the prompts that you used before you copied and pasted this thing in. So I'm, we're already seeing kind of a laziness factor set in, uh, in, in a lot of ways. And how fast did we get here? Huh? I mean, five months ago, remember what, what were you doing in March? GPT-4 didn't exist. Yeah. Now we're talking about, you know, now it's part of our routine, right? It's been mundane. It's now we're lazy how we use it. No, it's fascinating. It's uh, granted, I mean, that company, the companies that are releasing these big models, they're thinking and we're kind of experiencing the beta version of all of it um, yeah. at scale, you know, at a billion user scale. Uh, so these things, I suppose, are very, very normal. Uh, you know, like you said, very early, mostly work. Some things are just weird and hallucinating. But the speed at which all of this is going forward is just astounding. Uh, really astounding. It's it's beyond the speed of software. This is this is just a whole new level that I didn't realize was possible. How, so, who, what kind of job categories or classifications do you think are just at the most risk earliest in this cycle? 
Um, you know, I, I, I have a, my list of, of, uh, <laughs> that I think are, you know, really need to be very highly concerned. It's like, you know, if you're a, a stable boy, uh, back in the day and, and suddenly, you know, uh, you know, cars start showing up and, and horses and buggies are kind of like, well, this isn't going to work. You know, let's, let's go ahead and retrain now. Um, you know, I get, I'm starting to get concerned about, you know, some, some basic jobs, uh, that, that exist have existed for a long time that, that even with AI working early in the cycle, uh, it's clear that they're going to take over some of these things. I would, I would just be, sort of, if we start at the top, sort of bigger picture, I would think for about any jobs where probabilistic, uh, interpretation or probabilistic output from an LLM, from a large language model, is good enough. Now, uh, I'd like to think about when you go to a doctor, you want to speak to a human because, you know, 92% right may not be good enough if someone's trying to determine where we should have surgery, right? But in terms of uh, many other professions where probabilistic is fine, 92, 95%, uh, right? You know, such as copywriting, obviously the easy one, and many of the things that a marketer would do, many of the things that the salesperson would do, a lot of the things that customer service would do. Um, so I would sort of approach it from, you know, I would start there. And then, you know, my purview, if I look at the PNL of a company, um, I would certainly look at uh, cost drivers, not revenue drivers. Um, mm. and a lot of them can be replaced. A lot of the repetitive work, a lot of the automations, a lot of the processes. Um, and then thirdly, I think it's an enhancement to one's uh, productivity. So even the professions that are current, the jobs that are currently sort of at risk, um, someone will still need to do a majority of those jobs. But there'll be fewer people doing 10x, 100x what they could before. Um, so you'll still need a human to write copy or to produce copy. But you may not need that human to have a dictionary and to you know write uh, 500 words uh, herself or himself. Yeah, I think one of the most, uh, and, and you know, I'll throw this out, and people can argue with me, but I've, we've had this, uh, you know, on, debate uh, numerous times, both on our private uh, Zooms as well as our, our public podcast. Uh, I think if you're in graphic design, you should be very scared. Um, and I say that as someone who has had graphic design departments um, in various companies of mine, where it's like, hey, I need, I need a layout, I need these things done, I need logos. Um, whatever the case is. And so one of the other news points we have right here is Adobe, who's, you know, the largest, they make Illustrator and design uh, all the tools that, that the graphic designers use um, for years has, has, uh, is kind of opening up Firefly. And I've had Firefly uh, alpha access and beta access um, probably for about five, six months now. <clears throat> and I've seen it evolving very clearly and very quickly. And so, um, you know, I used to, you know, kind of, you know, pay on Fiverr or anything else. Like I need these graphics for my, for my PowerPoints, uh, whatever the case is. Um, and, and in less than five minutes, uh, I can, I can utilize Firefly and I know mid journey is a thing and people like it. The difference is, is those, those subtle tweaks like, Hey, this is close, but now I need to adjust some colors. I need to be able to move a few things around. Um, you know, and I need, I need that vector art and that's where Adobe is just so smart. And so their Firefly, uh, generative AI tools are now rolling out into all their products. So you've got, um, uh, uh, Creative Cloud, Adobe Express, and then the uh, Adobe Experience Cloud. So you're, they're starting to expand it into their, their basic apps. We've seen uh, some early integrations into Photoshop as, as well. And so to me, this is one of those things where you, know, you don't have to have an art degree. Um, you can make some very complicated, very good uh, graphic designs or even photorealistic um, you know, renderings, uh, that, that, you know, someone like myself can use and, and it's just going to kind of chip away at that, at that, uh, talent pool. What's your thoughts? Uh, yes. At the same time, I think it will onboard many more people who are, who may not have the technical skills to, you know, Photoshop, so to speak, uh, yeah. but have the imagination to engage Firefly and create art that they would never always be able to. So there's, there's the flip side to it. Clearly, uh, there's a path to the quality and the, uh, so the breadth of work to be, the imagination will be greatly expanded, right? Uh, yeah. But again, I mean, call me an optimist, but I see, if, uh, I see a lot more people starting to use these tools, including you. I mean, were you doing this, uh, you know, six months ago? 
uh, with, uh, you know, basic Photoshop. I doubt it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's like I said, it's it's bringing more people into this and whatnot. And I think one of the most uh, interesting parts of this um, is is really like, you can see some of these these items on the screen. Um, is it's just opening up an entirely new options that never existed before, such as being able to replace backgrounds, uh, you know, fix photos, and and I and I think that we're just going to. Ex- have so much uh, change in in this field. And one of the things that I think Adobe does really interesting and really well is when you generate an image with Firefly, it tags it uh, in a variety of ways and watermarks it so that it's very clear that this is an AI-generated image. Um, And it's for non-commercial use. So like this is this whole, like, who made it? Is it real? Is it not real? So I'm really kind of, I think that's the right thing to do um, because it, that makes that big differentiator between humans and, and machines, you know, building these things. And, and you know, Jay, we, we usually, well, oftentimes when we talk about AI, including in this context, uh, we often say like, well, what would happen to this particular job, right? Yeah. Uh, which is sort of the right thing to do emotionally. And of course, you know, Maybe I would I would be uh, I would have a very different view perhaps if my job was uh, you know at risk, um, but uh, but at the same time sort of the enablement that this technology brings the value it provides is massive, and on the other hand, what is the other thing that we keep discussing at the macro level? There's not enough people out there, especially not a lot of well trained people to do mm-hmm. jobs. You know, we still have how many millions of jobs unfilled in the U.S. We've got millions of cybersecurity jobs unfilled worldwide, uh, millions of developer jobs, and the world may not be expanding expanding all that much going forward. So I think this couldn't have come at a better time, you know, the large picture in mind. We need help and we don't have enough humans to do these things. It, is it do we not have enough humans or we don't have a good enough path of education for those both, humans? Both. I mean, this latter, of course. The latter, of course. And AI has a role there. I mean, you, you, we already have tutors and teachers and trainers and uh, to engage and teach. Uh, Duolingo has an AI, fantastic AI to teach uh, languages, right? Hmm. I mean, within a year or two or three, you'll have every possible uh, path to education using a, you know, a chatbot or a virtual AI tutor. Uh, so, you know, YouTube has had a massive influence on, on the world as far as the access and the information and the tutorials you can get. This is going to be, uh, you know, much, much more than YouTube. I think it's interesting, you know, to, to pivot the conversation, you know, a little bit to, uh, education. Cause you know, I've got a, um, a 16 year old and a, and a 12 year old, uh, kids that are in school and the older one, you know, it, it's a constant battle with, with the schools about AI. And, and we've seen kind of two approaches, either schools that embrace it um, and say, you know, just say what you've used and how you did it and, 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 and disclose it and those that ban it. Um, and what we've seen in, in kind of the schools that ban it is my son, you know, his teachers aren't watching this, um, you know, but, but he worked really hard. He spent, you know, days on a, on a, on writing a paper, did all the research, quoted everything, used absolutely nothing, but, but normal, you know, Google docs and, and, you know, put in the time and energy and effort and felt he did a really good job and, and quite simply, um, got, you know, I think, I think he got like a C plus on it. Um, and the next time around, you know, he, he just goes like, I, it doesn't matter how much effort I put in and I don't agree with this, uh, concept, but he, he basically wrote it, uh, the same time he ran it through AI a uh, number of times. And he also, uh, took, uh, some papers, uh, that, that he, his friends had got that had a, a, um, you know, A's on there and said, you know, put them in this tone. Um, so he spent about half the time, uh, got the A and, you know, I think that that really just kind of, it's, it's, we're going to have to figure out where that fine balance is. Cause I, I, I watched yeah. him do this and he, he hasn't done it since, but, but, you know, like I grew up with spell check, you know, I'm that first generation where in grade yeah. school, we had some of the basic, you know, very basic com- computers, Apple two GSs. Um, and so spell check became a thing and, and, you know, math on, on, um, you know, not having to use abacuses and calculators, um, was still evolving there. So I think it's, it's a tool. Um, we got to figure out where that balance is because we don't want it writing it for them, but helping with format and tone, as long as they can see, you know, what, what layer it used at. Um, it's like, you know, back then they would yell at me for using spell check, but today it's just a, a given. Right. Well, so, and what you said here, there's so much wrong with the education approach and they're so behind the curve as far as technology. Let's unpack it. 
imagine if we were at work, right? And we have our staff and we give them an, an assignment, but we would tell our staff, very important, do not use the latest technology to complete your work. Whatever happens, do not use the internet, do not use GPT. I want you to just sort of, you know, think to yourself, do not collaborate with anyone. It's yeah. you and only what's in your brain. And give me a report uh, by XYZ. That's ridiculous, right? It's the opposite yeah. of what we ask staff to do, teams to do. So schools need to adjust. Uh, my school, I've got a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old. 14-year-old is a freshman. And uh, her school basically said, look, we're adjusting, we're finding a way, but I think what we're learning is there's a lot. More, there's going to be a lot more interaction with the students inside of the class, explaining their thoughts, presenting themselves, and presenting their work, as opposed to just you know sending in a Google Doc um, to be evaluated. Um, yeah, so I like that path, but but just the whole thing to me is crazy. I was, I remember in high school there was came a point in time when they allowed us to to use TI calculators in math. There was oh, yeah. a point in time when those were not allowed. And yep. you could do and learn so much more with technology. Oh, I, I, I remember the exact same thing. The, the TI, like 82s or whatever the case was. And it was suddenly it was like you went from having to do the math in your head or on the paper to like just do the, do the equation and, and show your work. Um, and, and, you know, you're, you're kind of moving past it. And there's never been a time where I've been running around trying to find, you know, like, geez, what's the angle of this triangle? Like I've never needed it, but I, but I know how to solve the problem. And I think that's really the, the case that we need to see schools shift into is, is how do you teach critical thinking? How, you know, cause you know, I don't remember 95% of the things that I was taught back in school, but I remember how I was taught how to solve problems. Um, and I think that's really what we need to be teaching more of like, Hey, that's great that you want to, you know, I, I watch the stuff that my kids learn all the time and, you know, they're never going to utilize that in, in real life, but how they, they problem solve and how they figure out. Cause you know, I don't help with homework. I don't at all. I just, I say, you got to figure it out. And if you can't figure it out, then you need to find a way to figure it out. Um, and, and they're, you know, A and B students. So, so they're, they're doing their best uh, <laughs> mostly cause I can't figure out their math problems. Um, but, I, but I think that's really the issue is, is you're right. How do you utilize the technology? Um, not how do you ban the technology? Cause you know, prohibition doesn't ever work. I completely agree. And to what end? Again, yeah, at work we tell everyone use as many as much as possible. So uh, it's weird if the schools suddenly take the opposite side of it. So governments uh, get into play as they as they always do. Um, yesterday there was a, a large conference in the United States. Uh, Elon Musk, Zuckerberg, uh, Gates, and twenty other business leaders uh, met with U.S. senators behind closed doors. Uh, I think it was very interesting. They they met behind closed doors and did not publicize this. Um, but coming out of there, uh, Elon Musk said there was overwhelming consensus consensus for AI regulation inside the United States. Um, you know, this is a double-edged sword to me. Um, yeah, I, I do believe proper regulation does provide consumer protection, um, but but I also it can go the both ways, and, and we're seeing that right now with the SEC. You know, really hindering uh, the evolution of of blockchain uh, and Web three Web three uh, technologies. So. Uh, in the SEC's case, they're just, you know, they, they're taking a lawsuit first approach. They're just suing everyone. There's no rules of the game. Uh, so we're seeing, you know, amazing blockchain based companies just moving overseas where there is clear regulation like MICA, uh, in the EU, um, and a variety of others kind of around the world. But what's your take, uh, as someone who's in the space? Um, do you, do you think that regulation at this juncture is needed or, um, where are we at in the cycle? I'm trying to understand uh, what problem exactly the government is solving for here. Because outside then, it feels like they're looking for problems to solve. It feels like here's this big thing, AI. It's massive. It will have an impact to the economy, to productivity, to you know, work and, 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 and personal life. Uh, and we should be regulating it. But why and what exactly? Is it a national security thing where this technology should not be accessible to, you know, certain actors? Uh, that part I understand. But it seems like those big headlines here, and I, I, I at least have not seen concretely, you know, what would they regulate here? Would they tell, you know, we can only be, you know, what do you think? You know, to me, spending a lot of time talking about this, I think that there always needs to be safeguards in because, you know, we can go all the way back, uh, you know, to the concept of 
you know, if you give a machine um, just outright control of anything uh, without any human safeguards, you know, do they understand, um, you know, what the repercussions are? Because true AI, and like right now we're still in that kind of machine learning, you know, type, you know, hey, it's it's still got a lot of rails in there. Like true artificial intelligence, as you can better educate us, means that it's it's solving problems that it's never been taught to solve. Um, and it's looking for solutions that that we have maybe never even conceptually thought that there was a solution for. So the example I like to give is, um, you know, right now, the, all the Teslas, um, one, of, one of Elon's companies, uh, and I drive a Model X, uh, is running on version 11. Version 11 was told, this is a stop sign, this is a street, like, here's all these things. Um, that you need to know and understand, and here's the rules of the road, and now here's you know hundreds of millions of dollars of footage for you to understand how to interact with those. So version 12, which is supposed to be due out later this year, early next year, they they just nuked all that. They said, forget it. We're no longer going to tell you what anything is. They just started feeding a brand new AI model about eight months ago. Um, you know billions of hours of, of footage and said, this is a good driver and this is a yeah. bad driver and let them figure out how everything works. And we saw an early demo, I think maybe about a week or two ago uh, of just a live stream of a version 12 car. And it, it reacts to the road very well. It, it seems to handle things like construction and everything else um, in a very like nuanced way compared to the way mine does, which is very much an analytical, like, okay, I see a cone, I'm going to do this uh, versus it trying to figure out. So I think, to me, you know what I'm what I'm getting at here is there's a big difference between you know we taught like we're teaching it to do things versus we're just telling it here's the the success that you want to succeed and maybe those are the guardrails they're trying to put around there. Well, in this particular example, it sounds like there is already a regulatory body that's responsible for uh, driver mm-hmm. safety, etc. Yeah, and they should be. Um, they should up their expertise and be able to evaluate these type of algorithms introduced in their field of work, right? In, in the scope that they're responsible for. But so there's laws and regulations in place already. The, the broader, the sort of the Elon Musk, let's regulate this whole thing, it feels like we are aware that this is huge, that uh, we understand logically that there are unknown unknowns. Therefore, we should have people in place to think about and spot the unknown unknowns as, as they reveal themselves, right? That's what this feels like, this regulation. Because what will you regulate? I mean, I can go and spin up an LLM using open source right now, and I can do that while sitting somewhere in South America, and I will be global if my LLM is effective. Um, now, if I do something malicious, there are laws against that already. Um, so it feels a, it's a little bit of a... And maybe it's a good thing. Maybe the government is being proactive versus what you said, you know, the SEC and blockchain was completely reactive, ad hoc, and sort of, you know, um, not this. Yeah. I mean, it, it, a lot of this sounds a little war games-ish. <clears throat> you know, hey, let's let's not let AI decide when to launch nuclear missiles. Hey, yeah. let's not let AI decide, uh, you know, when to turn off on and off life support on, you know, the, the ISS or, or things like that. You know, we, we want to have some things under control. So it may be very benign and, and a little bit of showmanship, uh, now just to have these, these leaders in Washington and <laughs> get donations and the other things that, that they do in Washington things. Um, but I mean, if, if you really had to have like a concern, you know, like a true, like they should never be around, you know, nuclear missiles, they should never be around, um, you know, the energy grid, that kind of stuff. Like, is there anywhere that you feel that there's just, you always need a human to have the ultimate control. Uh, and then the same question is, there's some things you say, like, we don't need humans to do this anymore. Yeah, I suppose life and death, right? Uh, Nukes yeah. is a good example. Uh, armaments in general is a good example. Uh, my doctor, too, I, I want a human. I want an enhanced with AI, but I want the human uh, to be making intelligent decisions. Uh, so I think everything life and death. And there's, there's, a, there's a very, you know, broad range of uh, you know professions, jobs, and activities between those two bookends. Uh, everywhere else, I think AI needs to be enhancing uh, what we do. Yeah. It, it, my last kind of thought around AI, and we'll jump into a little bit of uh, you know regulation around uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Um, I, I think the most successful entrepreneurs, the most successful startups, the most successful um, 
businesses over the next decade aren't going to be the ones that bring, uh, you know, AI concepts to market. It's going to be the ones that have the best utilization of AI inside their infrastructure. Um, and I, you know, having that be their kind of secret weapon um, is ways to evaluate their business, scale their business, and grow their business. Uh, I think is going to be just as valuable, if not more valuable, than those that are building uh, some of the LLMs. Uh, I obviously technology companies have been at the forefront of it, and if you're building a startup right now, uh, you get to rethink how to build an organization, a company, and you recognize there's so many areas where you can make do with AI as opposed to hiring people. Um, so I think that I agree with that next gen of companies will be more productive, the startups certainly, than the generation previous to them because of all this technology. Uh, and I suppose if you're running a company, an existing company, call it a legacy business for, for, for the purposes of this conversation, you got to be thinking, how do you uh, reinvent yourself very, very quickly? Because someone out there is reinventing your business uh, using AI, being more productive, more efficient. Uh, you're just frankly approaching the problem in a, a AI first step of the way. Um, so definitely productivity. And we'll see productivity gains, massive ones. I think U.S. is potentially something like 1.5% a year, productivity improvement or thereabouts. I mean, I'll, I'll be, I'm very curious to see how that number changes in the next couple of years. So it will be a good uptick. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Um, so jumping back over uh, to, to Web3, uh, some Web3 technologies, and by the way, I'd include AI and Web3. It's, it's part of the next iteration of the internet. Um, but for blockchain-based, uh, PayPal, who I think we reported on a couple of weeks ago, uh, that they were launching their own internal stablecoin and getting a little bit more into cryptocurrencies. I bashed that. I, I said, you know, I don't like PayPal. I don't like their policies. Um, but the other guests were really excited and said, look, we need on and off ramps. Um, and, you know, while they may not be perfect, uh, we've lost so many fiat on and off ramps that, that this does provide that, that structure and ability. So great. We'll keep reporting on them. Um, so uh, PayPal has launched uh, integrations now into MetaMask and Ledger, uh, announcing more soon. This gives the ability to both buy and sell uh, cryptocurrencies and utilize uh, PayPal's uh, fiat on and off ramps. Um, and, and I think the most important part about this, if we're going to continue to report on PayPal, is they do have a ton, a ton, a ton of integrations uh, into various shopping platforms uh, and, and e-commerce, which means that that suddenly through you know very b- basic DeFi protocols, uh, uh, you could convert your, you know, your ETH, your Solana, your Bitcoin, whatever the case is, over to, a, you know, instantly do a stablecoin at checkout um, and take it from a multi-step process to just part of the checkout process. But Anaris, you know, this is, uh, you just got back from Permissionless. I apologize, I couldn't make it. Um, but what's your thoughts on, on uh, you know, where we're seeing that, the regulatory front of blockchain kind of emerge? Well, uh, this is obviously something that PayPal has been working on for a while. And notice that suddenly there's a, there's a stream of announcements from, you know, Fortune 500s uh, in crypto. There's PayPal, there's Visa, there's MasterCard. Uh, they, they're all talking about new products and launching new products. It's not the coincidence that it's happening now. Uh, you know, the Ripple lawsuit, the SEC lawsuit, the outcome of that. And if you speak to these companies, what they'll tell you is, we're working on this. We're working on so many more things, but we, we were our compliance teams, our legal teams had asked us to sort of slow down, slow roll, and wait for some regulated clarity to, to, to come through. So, um, so obviously, that, that's still the deciding factor in our world, unfortunately, what the SEC decides, what the government decides. But it feels like the doors are ajar now, that, that there's suddenly going to be many, many more news coming out for all the work that people have been doing for the past year, frankly, since FTX. Uh, and I couldn't be more excited about the PayPal announcement. Good, and that's great. Um, I think what's important for people to understand is, is we're starting to see a little bit of a gap and a little bit of divide uh, amongst blockchain technologies and amongst cryptocurrencies where you have the true kind of DeFi degens, you know, with a lot of belief that it's anonymous, you know, it's free, it's open, uh, very similar to that, you know, Napster model, like, hey, nobody needs to know who I am, I can do whatever I want. But let's be very clear, PayPal and all these other integrations, these are all KYC, KYB, OFAC compliant wallets. Um, you are known entities. And, you know, if you have an anonymous wallet from, you know, 
the last bull rush or the last few years ago, the second you connect that MetaMask to PayPal, you're now exposed, you know, this, this, you're now doxxed. Um, and so I think this is the big differentiator that we really need to start saying is, you know, the anonymity uh, that people have said that they really wanted uh, is, is being phased out. Well, I look at it as here are companies that are, that have a firepower and have the billions of users to onboard mm-hmm. to Web3 and onto blockchain and to also create uh, revenue streams for the builders out there to create that better decentralized version of the internet. So I understand the risk of them basically using this technology to simply improve upon the decentralized version of the internet and you know that becoming the destination. Uh, I understand that, but I, I am hopeful that... Um, you know, there will be alternative paths here. One will feed the other uh, because, frankly, we're missing a lot of technology for the world to be decentralized. We're missing a lot of code. We're missing a lot of software, a lot of solutions, which, uh, you know, to build them, we need a lot more people to be engaging with these applications. So we need more coders. We need more revenue streams. Um, and these type of announcements will, will add fuel to sort of the greater... I, I, I think, look, I think my point of view is on decentralization. Genie's out of the bottle. You, you can't put it back. Uh, but but uh, will it take five years, 20 years? I mean, much of it depends on, you know, uh, if these companies have business models. And PayPal they, uh, will help in that sense. That's fabulous. So as we talk about regulation, uh, our, our favorite SEC chair, um, Gensler has made some interesting comments uh, just a couple days ago. So Gensler spoke on September 12th at the Capitol to testify in front of the Senate Banking Committee. Gensler says if, there, if they were to live up to the uh, invested protection built into the current laws, it would help investors. Right now, unfortunately, there's significant noncompliance and it's a field that is rife with fraud, abuse, and misconduct. I'm going to partially agree and partially disagree. Um, I think that we as kind of the, um, you know, leading voices of, of Web3 need to really start calling out scams for exactly what they are. Um, you know, a couple of weeks on the show, a couple of weeks ago on the show, there was a, a new uh, NFT project that came out. We had a bunch of experts and across the board unanimously, everyone's like, it's a scam. Not even, not, there's nothing here shouldn't be publicized anywhere. This is a hundred percent a scam. We knew it, but we're all very cautious about, you know, you know, how public do you go with those things? Um, and I think that, you know, self-regulation, um, is something that, that, that we have not done a good job of. And we also do a terrible job, horrible job of naming these things, ICOs. Um, like we're just asking, you know, asking for people to get confused, um, from unregulated products that are not regulated by the SEC, similar to an IPO. So I I think that Gensler has got some points. And I also think that we've done a bad job of really calling out the fraudsters in amongst uh, our ranks. Indeed. I mean, and hacking and exploits as well is another side to it. I mean, I I suppose there's a, there's uh, taking at face value, what he's saying, what they're saying makes sense. Uh, it's taking far too long for them to provide that clarity. And we know it's taking far too long because other parts of the world have figured it out, right? And given that clarity. So there's no reason why we can't have it here in the U.S. Uh, but I'm sure this topic, you, you, you've unpacked it so many times on this show. Uh, I, I do agree on the scam, fraud, uh, the self-regulation, the awareness, uh, you know, that's, that's the thing. And until we do self-regulate, build uh, checks and balances, there's a real risk to all of blockchain, right? I mean, there was a headline, I think, this uh, last week. I, I wake up, I open up CNBC.com, there's a headline. North Korea used $200 million of stolen crypto to fund their nuclear program. And, you know, whenever you, you get North Korea crypto and nukes in one headline, it's probably not a good day for crypto. Uh, so somebody got somebody got their bingo card and, and you know, collected a, a free toy. Um, but, I, and, I, and I do agree with you. It's, there's, there's no shortage of bad headlines. And I think that some of this, going back to something you said just a second ago, and I want to extrapolate on that, um, we've done a terrible job with security. You know, is is cryptocurrency secure from from a, a seed phrase and, and from a cryptographic standpoint? Absolutely. We've we have built some of the worst bridges 
and wallet systems that, that you could possibly even think of with, you know, like, hey, here's a beta product. You should store your life savings in this. Let's, let's go ahead and move billions of dollars uh, into a bridge that, that no one's actively monitoring uh, or upgrading or, or has done any real pen testing for. We, we saw this uh, just the other day with uh, Shiberium, you know, Shibu Inu, a, a complete meme coin built by a bunch of, um, you know, degenerate... <laughs> scammers, you yeah. know, let's be clear what it was. Um, you know, they, they built a bridge that goes from ETH to their to their new chain and and they lost, you know, millions of dollars within within minutes of this thing opening up because they they forgot to actually do real testing. Um, and banking moves at, at a snail's pace, but I think that we can find a middle ground you know, and actually have certification levels to be able to say this is safe. It's been tested. It's been it's been vigorously re-updated because there's nothing worse than you have a wrapped asset and suddenly that wrapped asset becomes worthless. Not because yeah. you lost your C key, not because you made a bad investment, but because you know somebody built in the back door into the bridge uh, that just got exploited. Well, I would go further. I think almost all of these problems can be solved with software uh, with security products. Uh, we did oh, yeah. not do that. We launched the money first. We started using it, and then we started thinking about security. So to a black hat, to a criminal, this is Eureka, this is perfect. Uh, there are, there's no active defenses in place to protect crypto, crypto applications, crypto money. There are sort of seedlings of it, uh, but you know, from a cybersecurity point of view, it's a disaster right now. I don't want to be dramatic, but it's a disaster. Uh, whole categories and classes of products are missing uh, that you have in Web2, protecting your money, protecting applications, etc. There's just not non-existent in Web3. That has to change very, very, very quickly. Um, you know, or else, you know, the whole thing, at best, it will take years longer. At best. Now, the good news is, many people agree, a lot of money is being invested in Web3 security. There's Dozens and dozens of startups, uh, recent startups that are solving a variety of problems, but uh, we have we have some ways to go. Uh, it's almost like you know these protocols started. I suppose people didn't even appreciate the potential and couldn't you know in their wildest dreams didn't think that a couple of years later a trillion dollars would be floating. Uh, yeah. I- and, and I think the reason we're seeing this this flux of like you know we 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 got to a trillion and then it, it fell back down we got to three trillion and then it fell back down is is really that lack of trust that lack that lack of safety and security and and I I always blame two things I blame I blame bridges and wallets um, you know it, it, the interconnectivity does not work I think I think bridges as a concept will go away we've seen some of the very early uh, you know iterations of bridgeless DeFi so native assets for native assets and I think that that really is also combined with a much more robust uh, wallet infrastructure and and becoming more chain agnostic. And so if you believe Ethereum is, is great, then, then great, hold your assets there. Um, but, you know, being native means that you have one major factor that's kind of gone away. And I, I, I hope to see uh, that, that continued investment into native assets uh, happening because as we start moving into real world assets, which is the big the big buzz, you know, why whales? We spent a ton of time on this. Uh, we've got a, a couple of projects launching around real world assets. Um, that becomes even more important. You know, if you have a bridge that, that gets uh, you know busted open, you can't have trillions of dollars of securities suddenly yeah. free floating around because uh, that'll be the end of it. Yeah, and I think that. The, going back to myself and sort of the way we think about these things again they're solvable uh, products uh, in web 2 we've created plenty of cybersecurity products that simply need to be recreated reapplied and uh, you know it's not the same but it rhymes uh, yep. so these solutions they're coming and, and and it'll be a lot more robust I'll, I'll give you an example sort of the scale of a problem and, and, and an example comparing to oneself to web 2 I don't know if you saw, but a couple of days ago, uh, MGM casinos were hacked uh, in Vegas, yeah. and they went analog all of a sudden. And news came out yesterday that uh, Wall Street Journal reported that Caesars got hacked earlier this summer and paid a 15 million ransom uh, to to. So you, you, by the way, the funny thing is, well, somewhat funny. You've got the gambling guys paying uh, the criminals money again in Vegas. So uh, 15 million were paid to, uh, to, to stop a ransom, but, uh, you know, made, made major news, right? In crypto, we call it Tuesday because it happens all the time. 
so this is how much we've got uh, left to do here in terms of security. You know, and, and let's talk about some of the, there, there's a, a current lawsuit that exists and I, I love the name of this project. And I remember when it came out and everyone was hyping it, which was Stoner Cats. Um, and it was designed around a TV show and it was to crowdfund uh, for this TV show. And they were they were promising returns. They were saying, you know, hey, buy this NFT. And if you hold the NFT at a, a certain time, we'll, we'll give distributions back on this. Um so, and it was backed by two very prominent people, uh, Mila Kunis and, and Ashton Kutcher. So they, were, they they doxed themselves and said, here's the project, here's what we're going to do, um, here's the theses. And then they just put it out there and said, mint it, and it's there. And I think this is the big part that is going to be, when we look back at this last bull rush versus what's coming next time, um, is there are existing... Uh, projects now that are or, um, projects now that are using existing regulations. So, so instead of doing a Reg A or a Reg B, which would be very hard, um, that's not something that w- you could do in in the cryptocurrency world. Um, we're seeing a number of cryptocurrency projects use Reg CF, which is the the crowdfunding option, which allows you to have you know thousands of people. You can only raise up to five million dollars, which in this case, um, you know, they raised eight million, so they would have had to raise a little bit less. They could have pulled some private money together. But I think that this is one of those examples of like, hey. There was no problem with the technology, um, but but it ended up being a scam uh, in a lot of people's mind because they promised something, and when it didn't deliver, they just felt that there was nothing that they had to do. Now the SEC is suing; uh, they have to pay pay back uh, the money to all the investors. So I think if you're holding a starter cat or you don't hold a starter cat, uh, they may be trading for a little bit less than what they've minted for. So maybe a, a good investment if they win this lawsuit. Um, but we've seen this a number of times. You know, Logan Paul has his crypto zoo that he's you know was was clearly a rug pull. Um, I think I own like three or four of the eggs um, that I bought because I said, "Hey, these are these are known people. These, they're getting interested in, in NFTs, and I wanted to support uh, people, you know, known entities that want to experiment with the technology." And when they just kind of gave up on the project, um, I think that's that's pretty disheartening. Indeed, and 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 in this particular case, I mean, we do have laws here where this should not be legal is not legal, right? Mm-hmm. So this is pretty clear-cut, don't rock pull on yep. people. Um, I, I am not too familiar with, uh, you know, what what uh, they did in terms of Stoner Cat, specifically what the outcome was. But if it's a rock pull, it's a rock pull, you know. Yeah, and, and I think that's exactly it. Is is we say rug pull, and and the SEC says you know you 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 failed to register um, what what you deemed was an investment into a product or service. Um, so people believe that they were investing. Uh, this wasn't you know a PFP project. Hey, grab it, and there's there's no intrinsic value. This is an investment advice, that kind of thing. They were they were stating these NFTs are tied to theoretical shares of this this show. And I, again, I applaud, you know, like that's what we were trying to get. Um, and I, I I can also fault the SEC because if they see this happening, you know, suing them isn't 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 proper regulation. Um, right. You know, saying, hey, we do have laws on the books. We do have reg CF. We do have the ability uh, for you guys to do these things. Here's the disclosures. And, and I think this really goes back to that earlier se- section we talked about. People are going to have to get comfortable with KYC, <laughs> you know, being part of of the new evolution of, of blockchain. Um, and and believe me, like we'll, I'll get I'll get a number of emails and tweets of people telling me I'm I'm stupid and all sorts of things. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone in the world knows who your wallet is, but that would mean that the admins behind Stoner Cats uh, would have done would have done proper KYC. KYB, making sure that you're OFAC compliant, and they know internally. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, dox yourself or that you have to be known by everyone. But if if they get audited, uh, they can go back and say, "Here's here's who owns this," and, and we did a prospectus and we gave proper disclosures. Yeah, I mean, it's not shocking if you are in the U.S., Europe, most uh, developed world, KYC is not going anywhere. So there will be better technologies introduced, zk zk proofs, etc. To make it very private or as private as possible. But I mean, look, the government is not going to uh, allow anyone to skip four steps. It's, it's not going anywhere. So if you want to be part of most of the world's economy, it's here to stay. We just need, we need to adjust accordingly. We need to build the technologies that still keep you private. Uh, but we, I don't think this is, it would be, it wouldn't be very smart for people to fight for that. To what end? 
Yeah, I think one of the, the interesting things is when we talk about institutions, we talk about regulation. It, it, this is all about mitigating risk. So the goal is, you know, the, the the dream that everyone's had for Bitcoin is like, you know, every every major company put one to two percent uh, of your corporate holdings in, into cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin, and that gets us to like, you know, a, a, that gets you to you know that that hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin um, if you do something like that, you know. But uh, according to Fireblocks, uh, who I, I think is one of the preeminent um, custodians, custodian providers uh, around blockchain, uh, CEO uh, Michael uh, Shevlov highlights institutions' reluctance towards crypto adoption due to regulations and structural challenges. Despite uh, interest, a few large brands are successfully navigating Web3 ventures, citing risks and regulations, accounting, accounting, licensing, and security. Um, and I think it goes back to they want to know the rules of the game. My, yes. uh, in the EU, we've got MICA, which is an offshoot of, of MIFID II regulations. And I think MIFID II is the gold standard around the world for managing securities and investments. Uh, and MICA is kind of taking that a step further and adopting, you know, blockchain-based technologies. Um, but but you you encounter this all the time. You know, our goal with, with YWales, and, and I'm sure you with Cube3, um, is we want institutions. We want large players to enter the game and not just have a, a bunch of startups hanging out together. Yeah, and that, that's so. I think uh, uh, Michael uh, Fireblock, CEO, he nailed it. I mean, look, you hear this all the time. Yeah, the F five hundreds, the Web two companies, they'll tell you we know how to make money here. The a lot of the technology exists, maybe less so on security, but a lot of the technology exists. But what happens then? So we'll be pulling in these tokens, uh, these coins. What do we do with them? Are we breaking laws? Can we cash them into fiat? Uh, the, just that is—that's what's keeping them away from this. So the most that um, a company can do right now is to have stable coins because that's a version of the U.S. dollar. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything else is too risky, too too risky. And what you're seeing, unfortunately, a lot of the majors that have these prominent projects, some of which you mentioned here at the top of the, the call. Uh, if you look under the hood, they only have 20 or 30 or 40 people working on those projects. So yep. these are really sort of optionality type of initiatives. Uh, rarely is it a real project that the company is pursuing. And for this reason. I, yeah, and, and, and I, I, what you said is actually, for most people that don't understand, um, it, this is completely true. You're, there, are, there are companies... Uh, that are you know multi-billion dollar in some cases trillion dollar companies that are like oh yeah we absolutely have a web three blockchain cryptocurrency department and it's like two people yeah. you know that that like you know really have no control no power but they're just like constantly writing you know writing papers and and memos to the you know kind of hey here's here's some theoretical things we can do because you know major financial institutions do not move fast um, they're going to want to see security they're going to want to see you know like they're going to want to see ROI, uh, you know, that they can get from their name by bringing their name brand to this industry, and not the other way around. They don't, you know, J.P. Morgan does not need cryptocurrency to survive, um, but we would love to have J.P. Morgan, and we've seen them make a hundred million dollar investment into Onyx. But what we have not seen is the cryptocurrency and Web three community adopt Onyx, um, and so you've got a you've got kind of this this gap here of them saying like, look, um, we want to see success, we we want to invest in the technology, but if we can't get adoption, then then why are we doing this? Uh, and so that kind of brings me to Coinbase's base, you know, their own blockchain and what they're doing there, and I think that's probably one of the most interesting. Uh, you know, projects that we've seen today because they are native. They do understand fin- financial uh, institutions. And, um, you know, they're being, they're being, you know, used as the custodian uh, for majority of these ETFs, Bitcoin ETFs that are going to be coming out. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, they're pioneering, they're leading the way again, which is fantastic. We need that, especially in the U.S. Base itself is a wonderful project. It's a technology project. They don't have a native token uh, they're doing is to enable uh, real-world applications, and you can see the the uptick in use. I mean, the the value locked in in, in basis, uh, you know, increasing steadily. It's winning. Mm-hmm. It's catching up with some of the big guys. Has some ways to go, but I, I think they're nailing it so far, both as a technology and as a go-to-market. And I, I can't emphasize enough: they're approaching it as a technology. They're not approaching it as a you know a, a business, a, a way to inflate the token. 
and they're winning over a lot of developers. We are in our company at Cube3. We're working on base right now as well. It feels very much here to stay, and it will be part of the future, and we'll unlock some of these. Um, they know how to engage with Fortune 500s. Uh, you know, so if you're at, five, at 500, yeah, I'm pretty sure you'll be turning to base, you know, to be building things in, in the future. What what do you, what are the kind of top three um, features or or you know things that you like about base? Because uh, like, we've talked to some people that have played with it, but it sounds like you guys are actively you know really integrating. Well, it has all many of the benefits that their peers uh, that came before and the rollups have already. Uh, but the thing with base is it gives you clarity and certainty and trust in the company and the people behind it. Um, and they are very much uh, approaching it with a decentralized ethos in mind. They're doing all the right things uh, with that, that respect. Uh, but I know this is about technology. It's not about inflating a token. It's not about some nebulous you know, structure behind the company when, when there's multiple organizations that may or may not uh, be related to each other. And there's just clarity. Honestly, and sitting in the U.S., building in the U.S., that clarity is so, so, so important. You know that if you build on this, it's not going to go away. It's here to stay. And there's somebody liable, you know, that they are, you know, they do have security teams, that they are disclosing because they're, they're an S, you know, Coinbase. Uh, Base is just part of Coinbase, and Coinbase is registered SEC company. So we can see how much uh, at the end of the year their disclosures are, what they're spending on security, what their, what their risks that they're trying to mitigate and everything else. So, so that's transparency we never get uh, from shockingly the decentralized teams. Yeah, and it's at the end of the day, if you're putting a lot of money into a project, if you're locking a lot of money, you really want to make sure that that their safety is there and people are behind it. And there's, you know, that's front and center. Look, we invented money. Two minutes later, someone stole the money. Three minutes after that, we figured out how to protect it. Right. So when I think mm-hmm. about Coinbase, I, you know, I do think about uh, that. And um, I think we're going to do extremely well. And, and more importantly, uh, they will know how to get the Fortune 500s on board it and running. Uh, they'll provide a lot of certainty and clarity. And then again, someone listening here will say, well, there's a corporation behind it. It's, it's against the ethos. I understand that. But their success will enable uh, the ecosystem. I think this is really, you know, to me, I've always said it's we're going to be in a chain agnostic uh, world, you know, pretty soon that the technology is just going to disappear into the background and all of us, you know, nerds and geeks that we just we love, you know, tweaking these little things and playing around with the chains and spending hours on bridges and all this other stuff is just going to disappear because, you know, this is very similar to where Web1 was, you know, people had to pick and choose. Am I a Linux person? Am I a PC person? Am I a Mac person? And you kind of like got flushed into these ecosystems. And nowadays, like it doesn't matter, you know. No one goes to a website and goes, "Oh, is this Azure or or S3?" Because I only, you know, visit Azure websites. Like, it does it work? Is it secure? Is it is it managing from there? And you can flow from from item to item very clearly and smoothly. And so I think we're going to see an evolutionary trait. And I, I know you know there's some some brilliant brilliant people working on how to how to mitigate and manage you know assets floating around from different chains and and how do you how do you manage uh, passporting identities and wallets back and forth between chains. So I, I think we're going to be, be very much in a chain agnostic world and, and the technology disappears into the background because, you know, our parents and, and most people are never going to have a, a self-custody wallet. Um, they're going to have a, a, a non-custodial wallet managed by an institution that they trust just as they did have with a bank account. And, and, you know, you can still have your 12 seed keys if you like, uh, but I think that's going to be the minority of people uh, going forward. Yeah, and the best part, all we need is clear, clear regulation security of those systems and a little bit of time uh, for the builders to catch up and, and, and to, you know, improve uh, the world. Um, you know, money is going to move at the speed of the internet, right? Assets will be tokenized. There'll be uh, the speed of money from an economical sense will accelerate because of these technologies, which will, you know, honestly lead to greater good at the end of the day. Anaris, this has been a fabulous conversation. I, I can't thank you enough for your time today. I, I really enjoyed uh, the conversation around regulation, uh, the technologies, AI, and everything else. Um, why whales? Uh, this has been the the 10th episode of YWeb3. Thank you guys so much. We've been getting fabulous views. Uh, Anaris, anywhere uh, you like people to come check out uh, your projects or, or learn more? 
Yes, if you're interested in security and especially blockchain security, go to cube3.ai or hit me up, my first name on Telegram or LinkedIn. Uh, Would love to chat. Fabulous. Everyone, we'll see you soon. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.